Welcome to this Bible class. You will need to have your Bible open to 1 Timothy chapter 1. Our study continues at verse 12. 1 Timothy chapter 1, the study will begin in verse 12. 1 Timothy is the first of three letters Paul wrote to individual preachers, Timothy and Titus. The aging apostle is giving them counsel and instruction for their work, instruction that came from God through the apostle to these men and for us. As we read their mail, we are able to learn of our spiritual needs and the provisions of God through his word for our daily application. This time, we're going to continue at verse 12, but I think to get there, I need to read the chapter, so I'm going to read the first chapter of 1 Timothy. Then we'll go back and continue our study at verse 12. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope, to Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. Now, we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. I'm at verse 12. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service, though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world 
to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. In the instruction Paul gave to Timothy, Paul was not just mechanical, academic, legalistic, or factual. Though he was factual, he was personal. All this that he wrote meant something to him as an individual, and that's the kind of mentor a young man needs. These men who were inspired by God to write the New Testament were not just dictation machines or copy machines or robotic dispensers of fact. They were real people. Real people who had come out of sin through the blood of Christ into fellowship with God. They knew about sin and temptation. Paul lived in the real world, and he had to make choices, battle opposition, keep himself pure. Paul and the other writers of the New Testament, however, did not claim self-sufficiency. They attributed their strength to Christ, who blessed them with ability and courage through the activity of their faith. So this part of 1 Timothy is personal. Paul speaks of his experience, and it is connected to his teaching and counsel for Timothy. In verse 12, I thank him who has given me strength. Reading the New Testament and discovering this man Paul and his life, the narrative leads us to see the apostle as a man of incredible strength. A man of incredible strength. The work he did, the adverse conditions, the hostile enemies he had to put up with, the injustice he endured. We consider the Apostle Paul to be a man of impressive strength. That strength was not self-generated. He never says, look at what I've made of myself. Rather, his claim is, look at what Christ made of me. And that's reflected here. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord. And to that, he adds, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service, God and Christ could see in Paul that he was competent to receive and comply with orders to serve and to work. It was not that Paul merited or had earned such consideration. 
for verse 14 will stress the overflowing of grace. The choice of Paul to do this work involved divine knowledge of his competence, his ability to be a servant and accept his charge. To put it crudely, God knew, Christ knew, Paul was the man for the job, even though formerly, in the time of his ignorance, he had engaged in work he thought was right, but he had been wrong about that. So listen again to verses 12 through 14. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Paul didn't live in regret because he knew he was a forgiven sinner, but he always thought it to be amazing that he was chosen to do this apostolic work given his previous sins. It could only be grace. He had been a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent opponent of the gospel, the gospel he was now preaching. It could only be grace. Now, there is a part of this to be carefully considered lest we misunderstand. In verse 13, he said, I received mercy. Let me go back to that slide. Thank you. In verse 13, he said, I received mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. Paul isn't saying that his ignorance became an automatic excuse, or that ignorance was his redemption, or that ignorance qualified him for some sort of bonus. No, his redemption was in Christ upon his expression of the obedience of faith like every other sinner. Ignorance is not presented here as a virtue or as having some salvation power here or anywhere. The point is, since Paul's previous behavior was based on ignorance, not direct intentional rebellion, he was chosen for this work to be an apostle. God took this into account, but without imputing salvation to him based on ignorance. God has a right and has the perfect judgment to make these calls. God forgave Paul as God does all sinners who come to Christ. Then because Paul's previous behavior was based on ignorance, not rebellion, God elected to bestow additional favor on him by appointing him to serve as an apostle. Remember, 1 Timothy 1 verse 1, Paul was an apostle of Christ Jesus by command of God. Verse 15, this saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. Several times in First and Second Timothy, key 
statements of faith are introduced with this kind of phraseology. This saying is trustworthy. Here, in chapter 3, verse 1, chapter 4, verse 9, 2 Timothy 2, 11, and Titus 3, verse 8, this phrase, this saying is trustworthy. And this is used to stress certainty and urgency. It doesn't mean this is all you can believe in the epistle. It is designed to punctuate a basic or foundational truth, sort of like the old-style preachers who would punctuate a point in a sermon by a hearty clap of their hands. Here is a statement that is really the essence of the gospel, that Christ came into the world to save sinners. In contrast to the myths and endless genealogies of men exposed back in verse 4, here is something we can be certain about. The gospel message, Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. Then, without any hesitation, Paul includes himself and, and even says he is the foremost, our chief of all sinners. Now, this goes to what I talked about when we started the class. But Paul was not just a dry mechanical teaching machine or robot that spewed out facts. He was a forgiven sinner, like every other Christian. And previous, uh, uh, because of his previous sin, he was always aware of God's overflowing grace. He considered it amazing, as we should today, that God can take people out of sin by the power of his word and the cleansing blood of Christ. With respect to Paul's conversion and his appointment as an apostle, he never lost sight of this in verse 16. I received mercy, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Paul's case has become an example of God's mercy in Christ. Many times preachers have said to depressed sinners who are overwhelmed by guilt, look what God did for Paul. The mercy, grace, patience of God and of Christ illustrated by the conversion of Paul and his subsequent appointment as an apostle. Paul is a showcase of God's patience. You see that. Verse 17 is what we call a doxology. A doxology is a statement, usually brief, that honors God, naming him in reverent terms and ascribing praise to him. To the king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. If Paul's discussion involves his own salvation, his heart moves quickly to a statement of praise and reverence for God. And then all of this turns toward Timothy in verses 18 through 20. 
This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. I'll talk more about the end of chapter one in a future class, but here's the main idea in a brief statement now. Timothy, you must carry on. Just as God used me, Paul would say, just as God used me, God will use you, but you must be a good soldier, wage the good warfare, hold faith in a good conscience, stand against error, and deal with such men as Hymenaeus and Alexander. If necessary, by their impenitence, hand them over to Satan. We'll talk more about the doxology and more about the charge to Timothy in the next class. We hope you'll be there.